Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. So today we are going to talk about subplots and how they might make your story feel bloated, um, like there's too many subplots, too many characters, too many events, that sort of thing. I've gotten questions about this from several of you lately who are worried about this. How can you tell whether your subplots are bloating your story, whether they should be there, um, what do you do to fix them if that's the case, all of that, okay? So we are going to hop into that and we're going to talk about it because I promise you there is a way to fix this, there is a way to know whether your subplot is serving your main story or not, and it's probably not what you think, so stay tuned. Hi there. Do you want to write fiction that readers gush about, but you can't figure out how to fill in the beginning, middle, or end of your story? I can help with that. Do you struggle to flesh out character or plot or to stick with your story long enough to finish it? I can help with that. Once your book is written, are you totally clueless about marketing? Do you find yourself Googling how to market a book or how to make money on fiction? I can help with that. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. You know you're meant to write fiction, but you can't seem to nail down the skills or processes that make it simple and repeatable, not to mention fun. So you wait around for the muse to show up, try to force your story into a template or outline, or take months, if not years, to discover your story. Plot twist, there's a better way. Hi, I'm Liesl, USA Today bestselling author, story psychologist, writing craft geek, Christian, and story clarity coach. After 10 years of trying to master fiction using the old industry standard writing advice, I still felt lost. I finally learned what fictional storytelling and the human template are really about. Humanity, emotional connection, and serving our readers by giving them relief through vicarious experience. Imagine learning how to flesh out your characters, plot, world, and theme with such definition and clarity that every story you ever write lands with readers and makes people go, wow, now there's an author. Imagine knowing how to drill down to the heart of your story to learn what it's really about and tell the unique story that only you can tell so that you can get more readers, more downloads, more royalties, and of course, more fiction writing success. This is the podcast for you. We are prolific authors. Okay, so subplots. I'm going to start with an example of a story. Years ago, when I was in college, I used to go walking all the time. I lived at the base of a mountain, and there were lots of really cool hiking trails and even even paved roads that were just kind of up on the steps of the mountain, and I loved walking up there. I would walk up there to um, figure out what my next chapter in my book was going to be and just to gather my thoughts, and it was just an activity that I really enjoyed. Well, this one day, I was walking, and I felt what... felt like a sticker in the bottom of my foot. You know how you get those little uh, pokies? They're, they're not quite thorns, but they're just things that can stick to your sock. And that's what it felt like. Like something was just jabbing me in the bottom of, the, of my foot, just a little tiny bit. It wasn't super painful. It was really more of an irritation because I could feel it every time I put my heel down. So several times when I was walking, I stopped and, you know, took off my shoe and tried to find what it was. And there was nothing in my shoe. I couldn't find anything that was jabbing me like that. And I was going, okay, that's weird. And, but, but like I said, I looked and there was nothing there and I kept trying going no there's something there it's inside my sock or it's you know maybe the the fabric at the sole of the shoe has come loose and it's underneath it or something but I could not find anything well this went on for a couple of days and it got to the point where I couldn't wear my sneakers because it it you know got to the point where it was starting to hurt it was just jabbing me it wasn't anything that was um you know drawing blood or anything that you know like actually causing an injury but it was like being poked with a sharp stick I mean it just doesn't feel good you don't like that right Well, finally, after about two days of that, 
I had the insight to flip my entire shoe over and look at the bottom of it. And that's when I figured out what the problem was. <laughs> there was actually a nail in the bottom of my shoe. And I have no idea how I managed to do this, but it had gone straight up, point up, into the bottom of my shoe so that the flat part of the head was flush with the very bottom of my shoe. So, you know, like I said, it was not actually drawing blood. I was not like stepping on a nail in the way you would think every time I stepped on it, but it, that's because it was a really tiny, short little nail. And so just the very tip of it was sort of poking up through the sole of my foot and I could just feel it like something sharp when I put my foot down. So of course it started to hurt and I think I ended up with a little bruise from stepping down on it so often, but it didn't break the skin. It wasn't like stepping on a rusty nail or anything. Uh, but the point was I had to figure that out and then all I had to do was get a little hammer and pull it out of my shoe and problem solved. I uh, could walk again comfortably and I didn't even have to get a new pair of shoes or anything. So why am I telling you this? Well, when you have something that does not belong in a certain place, it causes pain, okay? It causes irritation, and it's going to bug you until you fix it. In this case, it wasn't that my shoes were crowded with too much stuff, right? It wasn't like there was too big a volume of stuff in my shoes, and that's what was uncomfortable. It was just something that didn't belong there that needed to be fixed. Now, that may sound like a little bit of a random lesson, but I'm going to... Um, connect it to the subplot theme here in just a minute, I promise. Um, so here's the thing. When you have a story that you feel like it's sort of bloated and there's too much going on and maybe the subplots are the problem, most authors think that the story is bloated because there are too many characters, too many plots, and too many events. And I do understand why you think that. I mean, it's the natural, logical thing to think. If something is bloated, it's got to be a volume problem, right? Too much, too much volume produces bloat. But let me ask you this. Do all long stories with lots of characters and lots of subplots feel bloated? The answer is no, they don't. There are lots of long stories, especially things like classics, um, high fantasies that tend to have a lot of characters, and different others as well, um, that don't feel that way at all. And moving in the other direction, you could even say that there are short stories that don't feel quote-unquote bloated enough, you know, meaning there's not enough story there, they're too thin. And so my point is that you could take a story that was too thin and needed more and add a whole bunch of characters and subplots and then it would feel too bloated, okay? It's not a volume problem. You, you can have a story with lots and lots of characters, lots and lots of, of subplots that's wonderful and perfect and flows together really well and doesn't feel bloated. Or you can have the exact opposite, like no volume at all and it doesn't feel cohesive and it doesn't really work as a story, okay? So here's the thing. The trick to writing subplots that complement rather than complicate has nothing to do with volume. In my opinion, you can have unlimited subplots, unlimited characters, as long as you make them relevant. Okay, so relevant is going to be our operative word here. Now, understand, I'm not saying that you should have unlimited subplots and unlimited characters. Okay, that's going to come with its own set of problems. I'm saying that there's not a particular number that you have to stick to. You can tell your story in as much depth, with as many characters, and in any number of ways that you want, so long as you do it right, so long as you keep it relevant. Okay, so the question then is, what do I mean by relevant? How do we keep it all relevant? How do we keep every subplot and every character arc that we put into our novel relevant? 
The answer is that you want to build the stories around a similar theme. That is how, that's what I mean by relevant. They're going to be relevant to the operative theme of the story. And usually that has to do with the internal framework or character transformation. So back to what I was saying just a minute ago, I don't care if you have 20 subplots, as long as they all revolve around the same theme in some way. And again, I'm not saying you have to have 20 subplots or that you should, I'm saying that you can and it can work if you keep it all relevant to the same theme so that the story feels cohesive. So when, you know, back to the, the first example about volume, the problem was not when I was walking that I had too many things in my shoe. <laughs> the only thing I had in my shoe was my foot and obviously that had to be there, okay? If you think of the shoe as the story, then the foot is what drives it. It's, it's the really necessary elements and you can't take those out, okay? But something felt wrong, something felt off and the problem was not a volume problem having too much there, it was that something didn't belong and it was causing irritation. So that is the actual problem you're having when you feel like your subplots are bloating the story, that they're not relevant, okay? It's not that you have too many or too little. You can decide that and it can work either way. But if you're doing a subplot that is not relevant to the overall theme of the story, the internal framework, the character transformation, then it's going to feel like it doesn't belong. It's going to feel like the story is bloated because you have something that's almost unrelated to the story you're trying to tell. You've just got this subplot there for the sake of a subplot. So my point is, the only reason to eliminate characters and subplots is if you cannot find a way to make them relevant, okay? If you can't, then they are probably their own story and you should cut them out and do another book about that story because clearly you're putting that subplot in because it's something that appeals to you and that you really like the story and that's great. You know, I'm not saying throw it away and cast it aside. Just know that maybe that's a different book that needs to be its own story, okay? If it doesn't relate to the main theme of the story you're trying to tell, then you're right. It's not serving the story and it shouldn't be there. Now, I can hear some of you saying, well, yeah, but I don't want to tell the exact same story twice, like have the main plot and the subplot be exactly the same thing. Okay, I hear you, and that's true, but you have to understand this. Relevance does not mean that the plots have to be the same or that the characters have to learn the same lessons, okay? On the contrary, plots and subplots work best when they mirror one another, like mirror opposites, or complement each other in some way, okay? So here's a few different ways you can do it. You can have the characters in the plot and in the subplot learn the same lesson in the same way, okay? If you want to, you can do that. You can also have them learn the same lesson, but in different ways. So what I mean is they probably have two completely different character paths. They're doing completely different things in the novel, but in the end, the theme is the same for both. They're just gonna learn that theme, that lesson different ways, okay? Um, you can have, if you're doing sort of a cautionary tale with one of the characters, you can have one of them succeed and triumph, you know, because they learned the lesson, they learned the theme, and so they triumph, and another one fail, and maybe something bad happens. Either they die, or they don't achieve their aims, or, you know, just depending on what kind of story you're telling. Another way you can do it is have them have more than one character come from completely different places. So maybe they have opposite beliefs at the beginning and then they sort of meet in the middle and learn the same lesson. Let me give you some examples of how these different things have been done, okay? I know it's a little bit abstract unless you can see it in action. So of course, one of my favorite examples to use is Lord of the Rings because in terms of character arc and story, that, that story is very well written, okay? So I said that you can have two characters learn the same lesson but 
with different paths. I think a good example of this is Frodo and Aragorn. They had a lot of the same lessons, but Frodo had his path. He had to go to Mordor. Aragorn had his path. He had to go fight. They learned a lot of the same lessons, okay? It's about doing the right thing. It's about staying the course, um, finishing a journey, even though it's really, really difficult, choosing the right thing, even though it's hard, and that way they can come home again in the end. I mean, all of these are themes, but they learn them in very different ways. So Frodo and Aragorn's um, two different character arcs complement each other very, very well because they're learning the same lesson, but doing it in completely different ways. Okay. Now, an example of having one succeed and one fail, I actually thought of two different, for both Frodo and Aragorn, they actually do this. Um, Frodo's sort of mirror opposite would be Gollum. Everything that Gollum did created a negative character arc for him. He chose the wrong thing every single time, and then he has his fate at the end, whereas Frodo chose the right thing every single time. So you can see that it's still the same theme, but we're showing what would happen if Frodo chose the wrong thing because we see that play out through Gollum. Similarly with Aragorn, we have a few characters that maybe don't make the best choices. One of them is Boromir. He was not an evil character by any means, but he was weaker and could not resist the ring, and look what happened to him. Whereas Aragorn was always stronger and did resist the ring, and then he has his fate, which is kind of the opposite of Boromir's. So you see what I mean? These are just different ways that you can do it. So you can look at your subplots and decide if maybe you could do one of these things, right? Um, let's talk about a couple more examples. I like Moana. Um, there's a couple of different ways you could look at Moana. I do think that both her and Maui come from different beliefs, different personalities, different perspectives. He was always much more in it for himself, where she was in it to save her people and her island. So she was much more unselfish. But in the end, they both kind of came around to the same lesson, you know. She struggled for a time, but decided to keep going, and he actually abandoned her, but then came back, okay? So they, in the end, both did the unselfish thing and were both rewarded um, accordingly, but they came from two different spots in the beginning, two different ways of approaching the situation. Another one I thought of that is really fun is uh, Dan in Real Life. If you haven't seen that movie, you got to go watch it. It's super cute, and it's actually very family-friendly. Um, really, really funny. You know, who doesn't love Steve Carell? But they have this one line that's kind of a theme, where he has a teenage daughter who has decided that she is in love with her boyfriend, and he is the guy she's going to be with forever and going to marry. And it's a very teenage, um, sort of puppy love sort of thing. And she's very, very dramatic about it. And he kind of gets after her and says, look, if you like this boy, you can date this boy. But at the time, I think she's only 13 or 14. And so he's going, you can't know after dating a, someone for a week, if you're going to spend the whole rest of your life with him. You're only 13, you know, you need to chill. And she gets really upset with him about that. But throughout the story, he actually meets this woman and spends a week with her, who of course is his age. And at the end, he is basically arguing with himself about whether he's going to pursue this relationship or not. Because, you know, all the things that people say, it wouldn't be logical, it's never going to work, there's all these obstacles, on and on and on. And his girls, his kids, are actually encouraging him to do it and saying, uh, you know, if you like her, if it's something that makes you happy, yada yada. And he actually says the same line back. He's going, no, I can't possibly be in love with this woman because how can you know? And he like catches himself and looks at his daughter and says, how can you know in only a week? <laughs> and it's just this really beautiful little um, tidbit where originally he was telling her that and saying it wasn't possible and then he came around to it in the end. So the two characters sort of met in the middle and learned the same lesson, okay? These are just different examples of how you can do this with subplots. Because, especially, you know, staying on Dan in real life, the main plot was him and his 
possible you know budding romance with this woman his daughter and her and her romance with her boyfriend you know his 13 year old was a subplot but they complemented each other so well and played into one another's themes and that's what made the movie work so well it was just a really well told and very cohesive story okay so some action steps for you if you are struggling with this and you're you know figuring out your subplots you need to figure out your overarching story theme this is something that i teach the internal framework but if you want to get a pretty good idea of how to do this on your own i want you to go to your climactic or transformation moment and figure out what the character learns okay so very often when i'm teaching this to students they kind of know what the the big moment is that they're writing toward near the end of the of the novel of the story okay so um let's let's get some more examples in the first lord of the rings movie we have the moment when frodo is standing on the bank and he remembers what gandalf says and says you know all we have to do decide is what to do with the time that is given to us that's his big transformation moment okay that is the light bulb moment for him that changes things at the end of the story that's kind of the moment that i'm telling you to look for in your story um one that I thought of is He's Just Not That Into You, which is a movie, cute movie, a chick flick. And there's a moment when the main heroine, who's always had trouble finding love, finally makes a move on the guy that she's, you know, clearly is supposed to be her love interest and she's supposed to be with. And he actually rejects her and gets after her. And they have a conversation about um, being too forward and putting yourself out there too much and why that's a bad thing. And she finally has this epiphany where she says, you know what, I'd rather be like that and put myself out there too much, at least I'm putting myself out there, then be like you, who's totally closed off to love. And that was her epiphany moment, and after that, she very much changed the way that she was approaching dating, okay? Um, <laughs> the third example I thought of is a movie called Labyrinth, which is on Netflix now. I grew up with this movie. It's from the 80s. It's got uh, David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly in it. It's a little kid's, it's like a Muppet sort of thing, kind of a goofy fantasy. Um, Everybody in my whole neighborhood when I was a kid had this movie on VHS. Anyway, so we have this moment uh, in the climactic moment with the heroine. She forgets a line that she's always trying to remember, and then she remembers it, and the line is simply, you have no power over me. So she had to learn not to let the antagonist have power over her. So that was her climactic moment and the thing that changed everything for her and helped her triumph, okay? So that's what I mean. You're going to find the lesson that your character learns in the most climactic pinnacle moment of your story and I promise you whatever lesson they're learning whatever epiphany they're coming to that is your internal transformation okay so that's how you find it once you know what it is um so let's use that as an example we'll go with the labyrinth you have no power over me that is the transformation your character is going to have so you're going to say okay she throughout the novel was letting people have power over her and her journey in the novel is going to kind of explore that you know what is she doing wrong how is she letting other you know, influences control her, and then how does she come to that to where she finally, you know, nips that in the bud and says, I'm not going to do that anymore. You have no power over me. So you have your lesson, you have your internal framework. You need to apply that to your subplots, okay? Every single subplot needs to revolve around that same lesson. Now, this does not mean that you have to change what happens in your subplot. If you already have a, a story worked out for your subplot, I'm not telling you to change the whole thing. You can, if you suddenly feel inspired, go for it. But rather, look at what you already have and ask how the characters in that subplot can learn that same lesson. Based on what you already have, I promise you, there's a way that you can do it. And you might have to change a few things here and there, tweak a few things. But usually you can find some way to integrate it with what you already have. And, and brainstorm, you know, journal on this. Get out a pen and a paper or open up your um, 
word processor and just start typing, you know, let the, let the flow come. So relax your brain and kind of do stream of consciousness and brainstorm ways that this could happen. Remember when you do this, don't try to force the ideas. You need to relax your brain and just let it flow. Even if they're ridiculous ideas, it doesn't matter. They will spark things and you can just brainstorm ways that you can integrate this lesson into the subplot that you already have. Um, again, can you have the subplot characters learn the same lesson as the main characters, but do it with a different journey? Um, do you have maybe one of them on a tragic course that will be a cautionary tale so they don't learn the lesson and therefore it becomes a tragedy rather than a triumph? Uh, can you have them start at completely opposite places and somehow meet in the middle? Okay, just different things to think about how, about how you could integrate this. So if we use, like say Moana again as an example, how could they have done Maui in a different way? We talked about how they kind of came from opposite perspectives and met in the middle. You could also say that they had different journeys um, and learned the same lesson. Now, from a physical standpoint, <laughs> they kind of have the exact same journey because they're literally on a journey to the same place. But uh, from a more emotional or you know spiritual perspective, they had different ways of going about it. Okay, they had different things that they, different motivations for sure that they were going for. And so they had to learn it in different ways. Um, and you know, if they wanted to do things differently, if this was not a fairly family friendly Disney type movie, then they could have even had Maui fail because he abandoned Moana and didn't come back. And this resulted either in his death or just that he never got his hook back. He never got his powers back. The point is he's not going to achieve what his motivations are because he didn't learn the lesson. Now, of course, that's not the way that they went for it with Moana, but this is just different ways that you could do it. Okay. So one more time to go back to the uh, nail in my shoe example. The problem was not that I had too much volume or even too little volume. It's that there was something there that didn't belong. In other words, it was kind of irrelevant. And if you're having trouble with your subplots, whether they feel bloated or maybe they don't feel like they're complementing the story enough, they feel irrelevant, it's probably because they are, because you're not putting the central theme into those subplots, okay? And this is what I mean when I say you can have as many as you want. I'm not encouraging you to have a hundred different subplots, like just don't do that, but you can have as many characters as you want. You can have as many subplots as you want, as long as they all point toward the same lesson for the characters, toward the same theme, okay? That's how you make a cohesive story. Remember, remember Vogler's definition of story. A story is a metaphor for a journey that leads to change. All of the ways in which each of the different characters or subplots change has to revolve around that same theme. And again, they don't have to all do it in the same way. Maybe one accomplishes it, maybe one doesn't, maybe they have different journeys but learn the same lesson, maybe they all go on different paths and end up at the same place. And that is actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that is actually the um, basic template for a lot of high fantasy stories because what happens? You end up with a last battle. So you have all these characters on their different journeys, learning different things in different ways, and in the end they're all going to come together and fight the last battle. They're, you know, all the people in the wizarding world are going to come together to fight Voldemort. All the people in Middle-earth are going to come together to get rid of Sauron. You know what I mean? And so it, it, in a very broad sense, that's basically what we're seeing in a high fantasy is different people on different journeys and then they all end up doing the same thing. And you might have some that are tragic and don't make it there because they make the you know wrong decisions or something. But you see what I mean? And this does not apply just to high fantasy or just to fantasy. It applies to everything, to any genre, to any character, to any subplot. Okay? So I hope that is helpful if you are struggling with figuring out your subplots. 
All you got to do now is go forth and fix those subplots. <laughs> um, relate them to your main internal story structure and then just, you guys, just write the crap out of them and workshop, the, workshop them with either other authors or beta readers. Um, this will get rid of your story bloat and notice that I'm saying you don't have to actually get rid of any volume to get rid of the story bloat, okay? Once again, maybe bloat is not the best metaphor to use, but it's, it's what you guys have told me that it feels like. The bloat does not come from having too much volume. It comes from what you are writing, not relating to the main story, and therefore it feels like extra. And it is. I mean, the reason you're feeling that is because if it's not related to the main story and the main internal conflict, then it absolutely is extra. Okay, so you're picking up on something that's there. But how you fix it is not necessarily to cut it down. I mean, if you need to cut it down, then go for it. But you can get rid of that bloat by making it relevant, not necessarily by making it shorter. Okay? Um... So yeah, get rid of it, not by eliminating the number of subplots or characters, but by eliminating what's not relevant, okay? That's about all I have for you today. Have a great week of writing. Have fun fixing those subplots. Guys, this is the fun part. You should absolutely be having so much fun doing it. And once you start to incorporate those lessons, things will start to click into place. Like you won't believe how well your story will come together, how well your plot and subplot will complement each other. It'll just be like magic, okay? So have fun with that. Have a great week of writing and I will see you next week. Bye. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors you think might benefit from it? Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. Also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the only way for me to know that you're enjoying the podcast, and it helps Apple recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the prolific author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Lives. Thank you so much for listening today. Happy story crafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome.